The reading is from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, beginning at the fourth verse. It's page 1188, if you've got your pew Bible. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then, not, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together, together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. But we ask now for your Holy Spirit to take these words of scripture, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us today, soften our hearts to follow you. Amen. This is great. By the way, I'm five minutes early. Does that mean I can preach for five extra minutes? <laughs> no, 20 minutes, finish. George, could you sort of scratch your head at 18? It's great. Great to see George. George's child here. And shall I just say hello? What's, remind me, what name have you given? Were you doing this later? Uh, no. That's all right. Be gentle. Be gentle, George. Watch the head. <laughs> Come on. Support the head. What's that? George, George. Now, George did promise in his pre-marriage counselling that he would be fluent in Finnish. Is that discouraging? Oh, that was confidential, right. Shall we... Lord, thank you for Edith. We ask your blessing. May she grow strong in every way. Be a blessing to those she shares her life with. In Jesus' name. Amen. Edith. Daddy, careful. Watch the head. Be careful of the head. Um, it's great to be back. And I think there's a health warning, really, isn't there? Because I am absolutely convinced that God, who is the God of creativity, and the God who forms us as his people for today isn't often the God of nostalgia. So it's quite dangerous having a former vicar standing up here. So I want to put a health warning, and, and will you pray earnestly that in the next 20 minutes, what you hear is to equip you and me for this day forward. I can't help but say that, you know, probably the single most formative experience of my life has been the 13 years 
I spent in this community, uh, where you graciously allowed us to make, particularly me, many mistakes and gave me many second chances. And uh, I, probably every single day of my life as a bishop, meet people who were somehow based here who are now exercising a ministry in their workplace and in the church way beyond here. Even at the 8 o'clock communion this morning, his parents told me that Tim James has been preaching in Italian, in Italy, as he is the theological advisor to the leader of the Hillsongs Church. And he first spoke of Christ in this place. This was where he was baptized. This is where he started his ministry. But this isn't a journey of nostalgia. It has to be about what God calls us to. Now, the other thing, my confession is, I, I do get a lot of control of what I can preach and what passages I use. Sometimes I even preach on the passage I wasn't given at someone's service, at Amanda's licensing. In, uh, she spotted that I was preaching from the wrong chapter halfway through the sermon. I have never preached on 1 Thessalonians 5 in my life. I was asked if I'd like to preach on that one, greet each other with a holy kiss. I said, no, I won't do that one. He, Simon went through the list and eventually encouraged one another, spurred one another on. I said, well, I'll give that a try. And I'm very nervous because you get to speak five or six times a week in different contexts. You don't quite have what you've been taken for granted in terms of the chance to go very deep into a passage. But... I started to look at this series and realized just what an amazing series this is. That these phrases that you're studying together as a church have the potential to transform this community. So today, let's look at spur one another on, encourage one another. There is an old story, I suppose today it would be on eBay, but uh, the devil wants to sell his toolkit. And he's advertised all his tools for sale. And on the date of the sale, they're placed out for public inspection, each marked with its price. It's a treacherous lot of implements. Hatred is for sale, envy, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, and so on. But laid at one side of the table is a harmless-looking tool, well-worn, rusted, yet priced very high, multiples higher than any other of the tools for sale. So a curious customer says, what is this tool? That's discouragement, said the devil. Why have you priced it so high? Because it's much more useful than all the others to me. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that when I cannot get near them with any of my other tools. And once I get inside, I can make them do what I choose. It's badly worn because I've used it on almost every single human being. The story emphasizes the damage that discouragement does to the heart of a person. Discouragement can make the greatest person ineffective. It can choke all our growth. It can bring progress to a standstill. It can render a Christian, a leadership team, a congregation useless more easily than anything else on earth. 
And when we are discouraged, we don't pray like we should. We lose an expectancy of seeing the Holy Spirit at work. We let our, lie, our Bibles lie unopened. And when we're discouraged, we stop stepping out in faith. We stop trusting God. And when we're discouraged, we stumble back into old sins and destructive habits. So, encourage one another. Spur one another on. That's the theme from 1 Thessalonians. And we are told so many times in the New Testament to do just that. Encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the Thessalonians are told to encourage each other with the words that Paul has written. I think this echoes the command uh, that we're to encourage each other with the words of Scripture. In Titus 1, Paul reminds the young minister, Titus, that the church elders are to encourage others with sound doctrine. In Hebrews 3, he calls us to make encouragement a consistent and constant part of our lives as Christians. Encourage one another daily, it says in Hebrews. Every day, encourage one another. As long as today is called today, that's what we're called to. So this sermon in your series, Encourage One Another, is the one thing that is for today, every single day. Now the risk, of course, is that we just pull in those with a slightly higher emotional intelligence than average and just say, would you go around saying good things to each other? That is not what this is about This is not simply affirmation. There is a much deeper journey that we must take, I'm afraid. And it's a journey we take in the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not just on a Sunday. It's something we constantly need to cultivate in each other, the ability to encourage. Actually, I wonder if it's one of the core purposes of a church. Do not give up meeting together. Encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. So in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Or as J.B. Phillips put it in his paraphrase, go on cheering and strengthening one another, as I have no doubt you have been doing. Imagine Christchurch becoming a church where everyone is your greatest cheerleader. Where everyone believes you can do it. And when they're all ready to make it happen. When they're all there to help you when you stumble. When they're all thrilled when you succeed. Where there isn't a competitiveness or a jealousy. Simply a gratitude when you see God at work in someone else. Because I think that's the kind of church we're called to be. That's the kind of church you're becoming at Christchurch Winchester. I don't think we're there yet, but that's the direction of travel. I hear the testimonies from this church nearly every day of my life as a bishop. All round this city and this county, ordinary men and women doing extraordinary things. Whether it's in the classroom, the hospital, the workplace or the 
secondary things like being the church warden of one of the resource churches or the vicar of another resource church. Those ministry gifts from the teachers in Perrin School were formed here. The Bible tells us, calls us to cheer each other on, to encourage each other, to keep going, to spur each other on. What exactly does it mean? The New Testament word here for encouragement is such a beautiful picture. The Greek word the Bible uses means to come alongside, to stand with. You encourage someone else when you come alongside someone, when you help carry the load. You help keep them going. You guide them in the way to go. Interesting. Jesus uses exactly the same word in John's Gospel to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus calls the Spirit the Comforter, he is saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside who stands with us, who helps us move on. That's what encouragement does. So how can we as a church, how can we as Christians better come alongside each other, stand with each other? Well, I found myself irresistibly drawn to the person I think encouraged Paul more than anyone else. Someone called Joseph. Actually, he's known better by his nickname, they called, his, they called him Barnabas, the nickname Son of Encouragement. And if there's anyone in the pages of the New Testament who has the gift, it's this person. Throughout the book of Acts, you see him bringing encouragement time and time again. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through the life of Barnabas. I, I don't think I'm dodging 1 Thessalonians 5, Amanda. I think this is the background to it. How do we come alongside others and stand with them? Well, the first one, I hope this is okay to say this. We can be generous with our resources to meet the needs of others. Because you first see Barnabas in the Jerusalem church in the very earliest days after Pentecost. In Acts 4, you gain a beautiful picture of what the church can be and what she is when she is what she should be. So Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions, possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet." This wasn't the first or only time that Barnabas did something like this. 
By the time this is recorded, he's already known as the son of encouragement. Something that you'll see several times is his encouragement. But what's unique about Barnabas is it looks like he's the first to step forward. He's the first to come forward. He's the first to offer acceptance, the first to jump in and help. And that's what encouragers do. They're willing to be the first. They don't wait for someone else to do it first, but once they do it, others get inspired too. Barnabas sells property and uses it to help the church. Others think, what a wonderful thing, I'd like to do that too. And so they do. Encouragers are the way God uses, well, they, God uses encouragers to jumpstart the church into a new direction of travel. The battery may be dead. All sorts of serious reasons why it's gone dead. The short-term solution, well, it used to be, I don't know if it still is, I now just am told to ring the AA, but uh, it used to be that you get a friend to come alongside, you get George to get his Land Rover with his jump leads, and you put the jump leads on your battery and you're off. Jump starting my car from yours, that's encouragement. That's a picture of it too. And that's what encouragement does in the church. It jump starts other people. It doesn't create a single hero. It creates a whole organic sense of new life and opportunity new energy and power, it gets us going. And that's one of the ways Barnabas did it, simply by sharing his resources. Luke immediately goes on to say there were no needy people among them. There were people like Barnabas who jump-started everyone into giving. Very cautious to go nostalgic. Every job I've ever taken in the church, if I'd known what the first few weeks would hold, I would not have said yes. Every single job. Which may be why I've had to have encouragers who said, come on, you can do it. It's all right. When I came here at the end of 2001 to find there was 11 days money in the bank and I had to wait 18 months for any and bid for any new equipment we needed. I thought, how can you come to minister in the wealthiest city in the British Isles and to find this, the cupboard is empty? But in the course of the next 12 months, three people doubled the income of the church. And the year after, hundreds of people doubled it again. I think that's what happened in Jerusalem. Generosity meant that generosity became a way of life. Clarence Creswell, I hope his story is still in the life of the church. Clarence uh, used to mildly irritate me because he would ring quite a lot for a home visit. Oh, I'm having a heart attack, David. I'm having a heart attack, Vicar. I think he had 40 heart attacks. I mean, I don't laugh because actually the guy's a saint. I also got mildly irritated that the good ladies of Christchurch, Winchester, cooked most of his meals for 40 years and did his laundry for most of 40 years. And I, I want to confess before you and the Lord, I, 
I just slightly felt maybe he was tapping the church a little bit. Now, there's a great testimony as well to what he did. I went into massive repentance when he died, and he left his house to the church. And we built that kitchen, modernized the kitchen, put what, what was physically impossible to put a commercial kitchen into that size, entirely funded from his legacy. The legacy underwrote the Just Ten mission in, uh, and underwrote the Winchester Passion. And that single act of extraordinary generosity gave us a confidence to take huge risks in evangelism ever since. And so I end up thinking, well, maybe the 40 years of cooking his lunches and the 40 years of doing his laundry was just investing in the kingdom of God. You see, the danger, of course, the reason we become discouraged and we forget about generosity is we think we're going to be taken advantage of. Actually, we have to turn that cycle around, and that's what encouragers do. The second thing that Barnabas does is he sees people the way God sees them. It's not a bit of affirmation that he gives. He sees much deeper. He draws alongside people. He stands with them. He sees in them what God sees in them. And this is a spiritual thing, isn't it? You see, you and I look at people on the outside. We see them according to their past. We ask for evidence at the interview about what they have done. And then we make a judgment on it. But God never does that, does he? God looks on the inside. And he also looks at the future. He looks at what you and I can become through him and what he can do through us. And encouragers are people who see people that way too. They try to see in people what God sees in them. They look for the promise and for the potential. They look beyond what they should be able to see. And Barnabas does this several times in the book of Acts. He was the first to accept Gentile Christians into the church. He welcomed them, he lived with them, he worked them and he, with them and he equipped them for ministry. Most Jews would never dream of doing it. It was outside their possibilities, outside what they could feel comfortable with, but Barnabas did it. But the greatest example, of course, is in Acts chapter 9. Saul has become a Christian on the Damascus Road after a long history of persecuting Christians, throwing them into jail, overseeing their executions. There's blood on the hands of Saul. No one in the church wants to get close to him. No one is willing to trust him. No one thought of him yet as the Apostle Paul called to be an evangelist to the Gentiles. But look what Barnabas does. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he'd really become a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Of course, that was just the beginning of what Barnabas does with Paul. Barnabas takes Paul with him to Antioch. He gets him to do Christianity Explored and Alpha. He gets him to do Discipleship Explored. He gets him to... He trains him as a minister of the gospel. And he become, the, Saul becomes the Apostle Paul because Barnabas was willing to see in him what God saw in him. And by the way, that's exactly what we need to be doing. 
But can you see this? You cannot read a CV. You cannot read people's past evidence. This is a prophetic ministry. This is a spirit ministry. And it's a ministry for today in our small groups, in the youth group, in every context where you gather with other Christians. Are you asking the Lord, can I see my brother, my sister the way you see them? Not to become manipulative, be careful of that. Not to somehow think you can foretell what they're going to do. No, you need to ask the Lord, what is going on here? And then thirdly, and this is my final point, we, Barnabas gave people second chances. I, I don't think I'm very good at this. But I wonder if I can draw myself and you to another place where Barnabas really comes alongside someone and stands with them. Because I think it shows us something very important about encouragement, about spurring each other on. It gives second chances. It doesn't hold failure against people. It's willing to extend a hand, help you back up, give you another chance. For when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took a young man called John Mark with them. John Mark was training for ministry, but partway through the trip, he just became flaky. Didn't have the, didn't man up. Just legged it back home. I mean, you know, for goodness sake. I'm with Paul, by the way. <laughs> but Paul was wrong, and so am I. John Mark quits and he goes home. Now, Acts doesn't actually tell us why he left, but when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to do another mission trip, Paul vetoes the choice of John Mark as, as one of the mission team. I'm not taking him. He deserted our cause, but Barnabas was willing to give him another chance. There was a very serious disagreement, massive falling out between Paul and Barnabas over this. Interestingly, Luke in Acts 15 doesn't take sides in the argument. He doesn't tell us who was right and who was wrong. But there was a very serious falling out. You know, it's like sort of Simon and George falling out seriously and having to call the wardens in. And, and you know, they didn't get reconciled. It's really serious. I mean, that's not true. But, but what happens... Luke doesn't follow the storyline exactly, but we know that Barnabas' encouragement of John Mark and his willingness to give him a second chance pays huge dividends. Of course, for one thing, John Mark goes on to write Mark's Gospel, the memoirs of Peter. And 2,000 years later, the church owes far more to Mark publicly than it does to Barnabas. Astonishing. This was the guy who had no hope. And then, of course, at the end of Paul's life, you know this, don't you? He writes to Timothy, get Mark, bring him with you. He's helpful to me in my ministry. What would have happened if Barnabas had not given Mark that second chance? What would have been the missed opportunity? What would have been lost? I wonder if Christchurch needs to aspire to be the home of second chances. The place where people with broken hearts, shattered dreams, failed attempts, 
wrong turns. Find a group of people who in the grace of God are willing to say, try again, try again. The power of that is beyond our capacity to imagine. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed where I've seen those second chances bring such extraordinary flourishing for the kingdom of God. We must never underestimate the power of that second chance. So spur one another on. Be the first in the line in generosity and giving stuff away. Pray that you might see other people not the way you want them to be. We're not about protecting the church, by the way. The most destructive thing, the most discouraging thing is if people somehow feel they fall short of the standards that this church might inadvertently seem to suggest it's setting. Now be with the most broken. Be with those for whom a word of encouragement will change everything. For 18 years, we've longed to see an Alpha course, maybe for 30 years, in the prison. Look at people like Peter Winfield, who spent decades going into the prison. I think of the huge arguments with the prison authorities about whether or not you could have Alpha in the course, in the, in the prison. And I think, Lord, why did that not happen 18 years ago? It's happening, it happened yesterday. And so, if I've said anything that hints of nostalgia, will you forget that bit of the sermon? But the real work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what is the Lord going to do in us? Not primarily for our own sake, although it may well be that the Lord wants to minister to you this morning, but for the sake of every other member in the church who will be encouraged, who will get a second chance, who will discover a way of being generous beyond their wildest dreams because you have asked the Spirit to make you an encourager. Shall we stand to pray?